2: with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald.
3: Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. Hope you had a great Christmas. God, New Year is, is we're in 2021, which is hard to believe, and, uh, We're hoping that it's a a much better year. Ralph, great to see you again. And uh, just a lot has happened this past week, and we've got a great show coming up. Uh, We're going to talk to an ESPN coordinator, a senior director who was actually in Olympics, uh, Centennial Olympic Park, July 27, 1996, when the bomb went off. He's going to take us inside the ESPN truck and programming and what went on that night in Atlanta. So that'll be good. All right. That'd be great. So, are you making any resolutions for 2021?
1: Uh, only resolution, Mac, only resolution I'm, I've made is that 2020 needs to be over. Yeah. It, it's over. It's finally over. Let's get into 2021 and and try to just get this country and the world back to above normal again. But, uh, I, you know, it's been a difficult year for everybody out there. But I'm glad we're in 2021. I look forward to great things this year.
3: You know, a lot of the and, – and, Ralph, one of the topics that uh, I, I wanted to ask you was that, you know, it's, it's a time for – all of us to be mature. Uh, I mean, not just athletes, not just people, but it's time for all of us to say, all right, I've got to do this and I've got to wear a mask and I got to be responsible and I got to social distance and I got to make sure that I do my little part, my part, you know, to, to try to help us get through this. And sometimes athletes are not as mature, i.e. what happened to Dwayne Haskins. My question to you, and that's, what's so much fun about doing this radio and this podcast with you is that you just went about things you know, the right way when it came to your career and working with coaches. How did you, do I say, how did you stay mature and did you surround yourself, you feel now, with people that kept you on the straight and narrow?
1: Well, I think it all comes back to, I think a lot of stuff we've gotten away from in this country as well. Remember you had the old, good old high school coach. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have the AU coach or somebody was trying to take advantage of you and, and make money off of you at that point in time. It's off the chart right now with, when they come down to that. So you had a, one a good high school coach that taught you not only about the game that you played and loved, but also was there when you needed support or needed to be pushed or needed to be proud a little bit to become really, really good. First and foremost, it comes from your family. If you're you know, mom, dad, single mom, single dad, whatever, it comes from your family and your upbringing. And to Samaria, you see a LeBron James, you know, uh, his upbringing, his history, his mom taking great care of him when he's a young kid. You see that and see who he is. And then it, it thirdly, becomes the athlete, the person. It's really how bad do you want this thing? You know, how bad do you really want to be great? How bad do you want to be just average? And Are you going to work hard enough to do that? So I think work ethic has that as well. So I think it's almost a three or 4 prong approach because you're going to meet people in your lives somewhere down the road that's going to say, ah, oh, i got it mm-hmm. and if you don't do that and don't realize you're not accepting to that then you're going to keep going and rolling down the hill so fast that you're going to be a wreck and so some athletes get that they don't understand their potential and mac as you know i've seen better athletes especially basketball players on the street yeah and it's in the nba you know they play better work harder play better but somewhere along the road they took a left turn and didn't come back. Right. Uh, you know, from drugs, alcohol, whatever, they didn't come back. So it's just depends you know, on the athlete's attitude and mentality that make them great.
3: When I tell people I spend a couple hours a week with you, uh, people, I, you know, I, and people who know your career, I've had them ask me, how did he walk away from that Celtics money? How did Ralph <laughs> not go pro early? And I think it's such a good question. How, how could you at that time Look at what Red Arbach wanted you to do, and to pay that kind of money. How did you stay centered? And I, I know probably the answer was your mom and dad. I'm guessing, right?
1: And mom and dad. But we're gonna have a guest. I'm gonna get on Cedric Maxwell because he has some great stories about how Red Arbach tried to prod him and Larry Bird to come to my house oh, and okay. present this million dollars. So we'll get him soon later. But uh, you know, I always would ask my parents. You know, even coming out of high school, are we okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you guys uh, financially stable sound whatever my mom said, say hey, look we don't work this many years we don't need your money we, we, we'll continue to work my dad worked till he was 80 my dad never stopped working he retired yeah. maybe two years three years and said look I can't sit at home and just do nothing so he went back to work and he retired at 80 so um, that's just the whole mentality of my mom and dad and our family that that uh, it ain't about the money, it ain't about, you know, what you can do for us. It's about who we are and what we all about The family, henceforth the Samson Family Foundation. But, I mean, I could have come out of high school, could have come out of my first year at UVA and to the Celtics, and it would change the dynamic of the NBA as well every year. But I was stable, I was situated, I was having fun. Uh, my parents were financially okay, and that's what makes a difference to me.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about you the other day, uh, I, I I walked in the door and just uh, fired up the remote and there was the Lakers Celtics part three again, uh, you know with the playoffs and how good that was magic versus bird it's uh, a yeah, it's great totally. stuff. Uh, we're going to go to break, come back in the Winter Circle Network. And Jeff Schatzel is going to join us, uh, a, coordinating, a senior uh, director with ESPN for a lot of years, an Emmy award winner. And he was there on July 27th, 1996, which produced the Richard Jewell movie and also a series on Netflix, The Bombing by Eric Robert Rudolph. So we'll have that when we come back. Stay with us on the Winter Circle Network. The mission for the Sampson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Sampson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational, scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax-deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work.
2: This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network, in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. We're with Ralph
3: Sampson, and we are pleased to uh, introduce a, a good friend of mine now because he teaches at the Dan Patrick School. But beyond that, Jeff is a, a six-time Emmy Award winner and currently a course director with us at the Dan Patrick School in Winter Park. Uh, Jeff's been three years directing with CNN and their New York bureau, He left for ESPN, was there nine years. He was staff director, uh, coordinating director, senior coordinating director, and did it all, including coverage of the 96 Olympics in Atlanta, which we're going to touch on in the story there. A lot of golf and boxing. And uh, Jeff, welcome to Center Court. And I'm sure you saw Ralph a couple times on TV, somewhere during that (laughs) college coverage uh, in the 80s. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Some of my best memories. Uh, I grew up in New York, so we were very uh, professional professionally oriented in terms of sports but as soon as i got to espn and and, and understood the uh, the college game man that, it was just a, t- a totally different world and, and and so many great memories of those times so you know that it, it, it's wonderful
3: yeah it certainly has changed so stick and you spend some time in atlanta too so
0: yeah yeah
1: i mean i have spent about 10 years in atlanta so uh, going back and forth uh, between probably 2001 and 2010. So spent some time there and know the lay of the land downtown Atlanta a little bit. So I'm sure we may have crossed paths somewhere there, but uh, Atlanta's <laughs> a fun city. The fun Ralph,
3: city. when you got there, I'll ask you real quick before we'll dive into the story with Jeff. When you were there in 01, was the Richard Jewell story still big? Do you remember headlines, uh, the story of uh, of Richard Jewell in the Olympics?
1: I, I mean, I remember yes. I remember it uh, just because of the, you know, being new in Atlanta, I always never, you know, liked Atlanta for a lot of, particularly. So when I was in college at UVA, right, you had the, the children shooting, right? So we would go play there, uh, and then you remember back uh, some of the things we got. We never left the hotel, really. We just went and played and got, got out of there. So mm-hmm. uh, we kind of scared of that as well. So that was in my mind as well when I moved to Atlanta, then the Olympic uh, shooting and bombing and all that kind of stuff was there as well. Cause you would go downtown to the Coke Coke Building and or the the the, uh, the aquarium, right? Or go to the game that is right there. You're like, oh, this is where it happened. So I don't think anybody's gonna ever forget that. I mean, no. I, you know, if you have any history and knowledge about what happened in Atlanta, that's gonna stick with everybody for for a lifetime.
3: Well, I got to give everybody an assignment, too. The, the Clint Eastwood movie was last December, and now there's a Netflix special on uh, Eric Rudolph, the real bomber, and it's called Manhunt. Uh, you got to check it out. But anyway, Jeff, it was Centennial Olympic Park, July 27, 1996, and Eric Robert Rudolph, a terrorist who would later bomb a nightclub and two abortion clinics, planted a green backpack containing a fragmentation-laden pipe bomb underneath a bench. And Richard Jewell was working as a security guard for the event. I think most of you probably know that story and we'll get into that. But he discovered the bag. He called the Georgia Bureau of Investigating Officers. And the discovery was nine minutes before Rudolph called 911 to deliver a warning. Now, so why do why do we talk about this now? Because I have Jeff Schetzel. That's why. When I first met Jeff, um, uh, over a couple of years ago, actually, he told me that he and our boss, Gus Ramsey, Ralph, were on ESPN on the air that night and Jeff was in the truck. So
1: <laughs> uh, I, I just want to know what a truck was because uh, you were no
0: air was the truck midtown where, where was the truck at but, the I mean, production no, I,
3: it, facility I don't know if it was a truck but the production facility. Yeah, yeah, no
0: yeah. it, it was, was a truck, a truck. It, so, so at the at one entrance of the park uh, was a, was a building that they called the Chamber of Commerce building. Yes, and, and yes, it's yes. Since, since been torn down, but it was at, at the one entrance that we we were getting into, uh, we had our production offices in that building and our set, was on the roof. So our set overlooked the park as a backdrop, right? And it wasn't just us, there were several media outlets sort of lined up uh, along the roof and and uh, the Chamber of Commerce building uh, really was there to host all of us. Uh, so you had a bunch of different media outlets on different floors in the building and we, like, we had our, our little office space. Um, the truck was in the parking lot of that chamber of commerce building. So it was sort of the, at the back entrance of the building. Uh, so the building was between us and the park. Okay. So if you can imagine that yeah. and the truck, the truck is, is, you know, pick it, a TV truck is, a, is, a, is the same size as a tractor trailer that you see on the road uh, going to Walmart, right. With, with mm-hmm. full of, full of, of, of commerce, but it, uh, expands on either side. So it becomes a little bit wider and the monitors go in there and it turns into a, a, a rolling control room. So we had parked there and we were there for the duration of the game. So our, our, truck had parked behind that building probably a week before the games and we were staying for a month and a half.
3: Wow. Yeah. So Jeff, the distance right. then what was the distance?
0: Or we what? were probably about uh probably about 300 yards away from where the 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 tower where the light where the bomb went off. Wow. And we absolutely could not only hear it because we were doing a report at the time. We weren't live but we were recording at that time and you could hear it through the microphones and we could feel it in the truck. It it shook like we like something seriously shook like jumped up and down and it was funny because the the it wasn't funny but it was it was interesting because a a couple of days before they had uh come by and and emptied a trash bin one of those gigantic uh uh, metal trash trash bins uh and they came up and they picked this one up and they dropped a new one in its place and when they dropped that we sort of that startled us too um and the first thing that we compared this the bomb to that because it was about 10 times stronger you thought oh here's another,
3: here's another dumpster yeah, yeah here's an, exactly
0: that and then the, the first thing we said to each other inside the truck was that wasn't a dumpster you know that was definitely more powerful than a dumpster what we right. felt so uh so yeah we knew something had gone on the very initial reports were that it was a transformer because it was near an electrical tower that was being used to light the stage. Uh, so that was the first first inkling that we got that, that to explain what the explosion was. Uh, but we immediately immediately could see from the roof, the ambulances start to come towards the park down the street because kind of our view from the rooftop was behind the park and down one of the major streets there. And uh, and sure enough, the ambulances start coming and they start clearing, you know, it was just sort of so, sort of bedlam. We didn't know what was going on, but we just started we kept recording. We kept pointing our cameras out where the lights were, where the sirens and the, and the, the, the police cars and, the, and ambulances were going. We couldn't tell what was happening, but we just kept recording anyway. It was sort of an instinct that we had. Um, and uh, and then, you know, sure enough, we, we, we started those were in the days that our only source of information was AP wires. So right. we start looking at AP wires and trying to figure out what's happening. And, and there was very little information happening for probably the first hour or so. Uh, we just had no idea. Eventually, the police came knocking on the door of the truck and asked us to leave because they were evacuating the park. And uh, somebody somebody negotiated with the police to keep us there and to keep uh, And they said, "Okay, well, you know, you got to. It's got to be a minimum number of people." And I was like, "I'll go," <laughs> but, I, but but I couldn't. Uh, you know, the fact that I was there is only because it was the night crew and I was the rookie. This was literally my first remote for ESPN. Oh wow. Wow. And uh, my, my boss at the time was the primary lead director who was working uh, the daytime shift. And we had done a big three-hour preview show a couple of days before. And, and he, did, he was doing the day shifts and I was doing the night shifts. And um, so we cleared out the truck uh, for with, uh, except for about six or seven people. And uh, and we were lucky enough to stay, and and there, and they came back a little bit later and said, okay, if you're going to stay, you're going to stay the whole night. You can't wow. now. You can't, can't leave. leave, right? Because now now this is a crime scene, and you can't leave. Wow. wow. So uh, Chris Myers was our uh, was our host that night, and he was up on the roof, uh, on a set, behind a desk and he had his jacket and his tie and his shirt and a pair of shorts on him. <laughs> so, but he went out, he had he had to come down from the set, but he went out and tried to tried to find out information. He started talking to people, he turned into a reporter and he actually did an excellent job. Uh, we took a camera person with him and, and off he went in trying to talk to people. He'd come back and he'd report to us. We'd go live to him when, when we had some some new information. And we shot him from the waist up the whole time.
1: Wow! So no, nobody, I, nobody at home knew he was in shorts. Exactly. exactly. Nobody knew he was in shorts. But <laughs> so you go back to the point where you know you you heard a dumpster being set in place, and then you heard another sound. So when you yeah. hear that sound, what what was your reaction? What did you what did you do? Because you know people here, you know, in today's world, like Nashville and these other bombings that we've heard over the years now, and. The normal reaction is, what What did you do at that moment? Did you go into yeah. the desk? Did you go outside? I mean, in California, we think it's an earthquake, right? You would go outside <laughs> and try to figure out, but on the yeah. East Coast of Atlanta, you think, think
0: it's what? Yeah, well, the, the, the practical part of it was, since we were recording, we stopped, right? That was the, the first. And, and then we sort of said, okay, well, what was that? Uh, the people who were our tape operators literally rewound it and, and played it back for us. Oh. It was, it was unimpressive on our soundtrack. So they're playing honestly, back to sound because they're, yeah. they're,
3: they're playing back to yeah. explosion. Well,
0: so, so, yeah, here, what we were at the time we were recording, we were doing segments that involved on cameras and VOs and, and full screen scores At the exact moment we were on a full screen score about a boxing event that day. So there was no visual. We didn't have a camera trained. You didn't see a flash or anything like that uh, on any of the cameras, but you heard it. But you heard it, you're hearing it through Chris's lavalier mic. So it is somewhat distant in the background it doesn't it wasn't nearly as impressive as what you heard even on tapes that came out a day later Mm -hmm. uh and certainly wasn't as impressive as it was depicted in the movies with surround sound Mm that literally scared the bejesus out of all of us (laughs) who watched even though we knew it was coming um but but yeah so it, it didn't it didn't it just it sounded like a like a a who knows, it could have been a a bad car crash or something like that. And and just because of the sound quality of the microphone, the way it picked it up, it didn't have nearly the effect as what we had just felt. And what we just felt, we just didn't know. We just knew that it was stronger than the dumpster. And that was our only frame of reference. And had the dumpster not been dropped a couple of days earlier, we wouldn't have anything to compare to, right? Right. And maybe we would have thought it was a water main break or some sort of thing. And then when, when the, when the first reports came in, that's the speculation was that it was a transformer. We kind of bought that because we figured, all right, that feels about the right percussiveness. Right. Uh, And again, with nothing to compare to, uh, that was as good as we could do at the time with that.
3: Coordinating director Jeff Schetzel is with us uh, with ESPN and was uh, for a lot of years now teaching uh, with us with the Dan Patrick School. We're going to go to break and come back. The bomb exploded 13 minutes later, killing Alice Hawthorne and injuring over 100 people. The, we're talking about the Olympic bombing in 1996, July 27th. Jeff Schetzel was there. We'll, we'll try to find out. About programming and what happens next when we come back. Stay with us on the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson.
4: Welcome to Atlanta's Olympic Stadium for the opening ceremony of these centennial Olympic Games. We've got to go right now. We've got a
3: bomb. Get out right now. Downstairs right now. Guys, we have got to evacuate. Hey, are you listening to me?
0: We got to evacuate the tower, we have a bomb. Get down there right now, we got a bomb. Move, 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 move. Get the lead out of your pants, come on now. Come on, get the move away from the, the tower. Go toward the street, anything but here. Are you kidding me?
3: We got to move, there's a bomb. Jeff, you're, you're producing a show, you had this other stuff that, that you were doing. Now all of a sudden, when do you find out it's a bomb, and when do you find out that this is a story that, man, you now you've got to you've got to play every major network in the world, and you've got to stay with this story?
0: Yeah, when when the police came um, to to talk to us, we knew something was uh, was worrisome, and 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 that's when we sort of huddled in the truck and and decided to dispatch Chris Chris Myers out into the crowd to try to find out and try to get some get some answers. And he was the one who first uh, told us of the possibility that it was a bomb. uh, And then that was confirmed on on the AP wire. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were in contact with uh, with Bristol uh, ESPN's uh, headquarters and um, they were on the phone as well just talking about What to say and when you know as as a typical discussion in a newsroom is is what do we know? What can we say? What can we report Mm -hmm. Uh, and and you know, Chris was involved in those conversations as well. And as soon as we got anything We carefully reported that there was an explosion of unknown origin first Because we couldn't confirm the transformer thing that was actually denied eventually Uh, We just said there's a there's been an explosion. We don't know what it is and and then eventually they, they were able to identify it as a bomb. And um, all along we were tossing it back and forth to Bristol. And mm-hmm. and th- there was there was uh, there was a sports center show scheduled for uh, 1 a.m. And that's what we were recording our segments for when the bomb went off. They played back the partial segment that we were recording and ultimately stopped recording because it had that audio track and you heard it in the background that was the only source of anything that we had we had a little a few pictures that we were allowed to take but pretty soon the police came and uh, they had already gotten all the people off the roof we had one robotic camera up there as well and we were even though we were told not to we we continued to gather images with that robotic camera eventually they spotted it moving so they came and asked us to to point it the other way and stop their rationale was that it was an active crime scene and we were not allowed to photograph an active crime scene at that time but we had enough pictures at that point to be able to put together some short b-roll segments uh really just of of flashing lights and ambulances and 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 things like that uh because that's all we had and once it crossed uh we were actually not a part of the show when it crossed at at that point like they couldn't they we didn't have enough to devote the entire sports center show to this at this point so they had gone on to something else and, and you know Gus tells this part of the story even better uh, as soon as it was confirmed that it was a bomb, we got beaten just by a little bit by CNN <laughs> uh, at the time. We were watching, we're trying to get back and we're sort of screaming on the, on the com systems. Get it, get it get us back, get us back, get us back because <laughs> we want to be able to break this news from there. Uh, but we were you know came in second by just a smidge that night. Um, and then uh, essentially continued to develop the story. Uh, coming back and forth to us throughout the evening. And and we pretty much didn't stop. Um, what was happening around us was, was odd because the the level of security uh, got upped and upped and up. So it started with the Atlanta, well, the ACOG, the Atlanta committee, uh, you know, organization for the game, their own security. And they had like the, basically one step above Richard Jewell right? walking <laughs> around and, and, and then, of course, next uh, came the Atlanta City Police, and then the Georgia State Police, and then eventually uh, the National Guard came in. And when the National Guard came in, they literally marched down the street in formation, in full riot gear, with uh, machine guns and helmets, and, and just and essentially cordoned off uh, an area that included our truck uh, that but nothing nothing on the other side and so nobody could get to us and we could not leave after that point Um, eventually the Salvation Army came through with coffee and snacks and sweets for all the people who were around which was really really nice Um, and crowds started to gather because the news had gone out gotten out at this point and as it turned into morning people just came to the park to, to gawk really, and, and even some of our people who were on the daytime team came out, including my boss uh, at that time. And I remember him asking me to call his wife uh, to, tell, to tell her he that we were okay. Um, this, so this is pre-cell phones. This is pre-internet. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So, so uh, he's literally across the street cannot get to me screaming at me saying, can you call my wife and tell her I'm okay? Wow. And, and, you know, I, we, again, I was a less than a year employee at this point. Uh, this was my first remote. I, and I had met his wife once and it was four in the morning. And so I, but I did call and I rang her up and said, "Kim, this is Jeff. Remember me. I just want to tell you, you when when you wake up, you are going to see an event has happened. We are all fine. We are all safe. We are all okay. And Dennis, uh, Dennis wants to know, wants you to know that he's safe. And 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 that's why I'm calling. Wow. So yeah, that was one of the many bizarre." uh events of the night as we as we went through and it just that he was thoughtful enough to think of his wife and, and realize that she was going to wake up at that in the morning and see all this on on the news and and immediately freak out so it's probably better to wake her up out of a sound sleep than it was to put her through that In the morning, but yes. what an evening what an evening of time and, and, and it went so fast before we knew it honestly guys before we knew it the sun was up and we just we and we had just just gone and gone and gathered and come back to us go back to them go as much as we could say whenever we could get it Chris would would go out and come back and go out and come back and say I got a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more we're trying to put the pieces of the story together and and tell what we knew about what was a a very very bizarre uh situation so, I, so it
1: looks like. So I'm wondering, did the any of the authorities come in and say, "Let me see your footage, just in case there's something in that footage that that they could use as evidence"?
0: Uh, no, I'm so you know, and that that's a great question, Ralph. I'll tell you because I don't. I, I'm surprised uh, that they didn't, because uh, you know they they must have realized that we were we were up there because they yes. kicked us out from there. Um, I just don't think that they were. That advanced uh, from the investigation standpoint at that point and that night. And I think they were more focused on safety and security and, right. and the people who were injured um, uh, before that. And that may have happened further down the road um, as the investigation happened, but we didn't know about that, certainly. Um, and, and it's not, you know, I think if the same thing happens today, um, you know a lot more information scattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah right I mean I, it would have been a lot, played out a lot differently but um, you know we didn't know much other than we had to go eventually and, and eventually they did kick us out and and said we couldn't come back for a couple of days as as they shut down the games and yeah. um, so yeah so there was uh, we didn't really know much more than what was happening in the media uh, and as soon as, we, as at some point ESPN's uh news gathering machine takes over for us right and and it becomes something that they once they can get people in place uh and and who are who are real investigative reporters taking nothing away from chris Myers, but but just you know we 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 were there to play a different role right And, and and so they they the espn folks i think were um more comfortable uh playing starting to play this like a typical news story that was related to sports uh and and certainly um you know off off we went. And, and we you know we didn't see much. I think it was the next day that we saw the um I guess it was the NBC footage that showed a, a much better view of what had happened mm-hmm. from the vantage point of their studio, which which sort of overlooked uh the park at a much lower level than ours. Um and you could see it flash in the background. So that that kind of became the 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 go-to b-roll shot uh for a for all for a lot of
3: us at that point the next morning well i know you stayed during the rest of the olympics but what about the jewel story as it was breaking did espn treat that as a news item and stay away from it or did espn follow very closely the richard jewel story
0: yeah, the first thing, uh, they they sent us away and and, and uh, we could, after that night, uh, we couldn't go back on the air from that location because they were going to shut everything down and shut mm-hmm. the park down. Uh, so we spent uh, probably three days back in our condo complexes and that that's kind of when we were just following the newspapers at that point and we're following the news mm-hmm. ourselves. We just became citizens at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, sure enough, it, it started to come out that they had found a suspect. And they, and I think we all were a little skeptical, uh, but no, was, yeah. may, maybe and, and wary and thinking, yeah, they they have to find somebody. Right. They have to figure this out quickly. Otherwise, there's no shot at continuing. If this remains a mystery, no one is going to feel safe to come back and restart the the Olympics. Um, and uh, so you know, we, it's still a newsroom, even though we were in, in, in a foreign place. When we came back, uh, we went back to our, our jobs. We were gathering and talking about this and, and figuring out how to keep it in the story but then also shift the story back to the games, which is why we were there. We had unprecedented access Uh, non-rights holders don't get to be that close to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. It was only that one year in Atlanta that we were lucky enough to be right there. And the fact that the Olympic Park was not considered a venue, which is what allowed us and all the other journalists to be there. Uh, So ESPN's approach, like everybody else's, was as soon as Richard Jewell was identified as a potential subject, the media started following his every move. He wasn't arrested, but, and, and because it played out so publicly, they were literally following him around. So ESPN embedded a reporter with that group of people and, and they sort of took it away from us and made it part of uh, their typical news gathering uh, network of people. Mm-hmm. And so a reporter, Mark Schwartz, was was assigned to it. And he had the Richard Jewell beat, essentially. He had the story of the bombing, which turned into the Richard Jewell beat, just following right. him around. And we went back to work on the day-to-day part of the games, certainly incorporating... Mark's reports, but we weren't the only ones doing that so so the rest of the ESPN programming was also incorporating the things that Mark was doing, uh, and not just the, the segments and, and the pieces that we were doing. Yeah, that's
1: great. First, I want to go back, Matt, because I'm a little jealous as well. You mentioned the six uh, Emmy awards. So, you know, I, I I couldn't go to college for six years and get six-time college player. I can go I'll go four. I got three. So, go back and I want to make sure I tell you about that because that's pretty impressive. But I'm also curious about the ability to understand that time in your life compared to you hear a bombing today in Nashville. Obviously, the years have passed, but now we get different technology. Do you still get like a a little bit of a feeling when you heard that news the other day?
0: Yeah.
3: And and, you know, that great question.
0: Absolutely. Because it's, it's such a, it's such a devastating thing to happen and to think that somebody plans that and does that to, uh, you know, other citizens, other people, other Americans um, it's, it just, you know, it's a scary society we live in when those things happen. And that, that moment is, it, it brings you back to that moment, that feeling of, wow, what was that? And, and, and we were, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit fortunate that we had something else to think about during that time. We were scared out of our mind, but we, we, couldn't, we couldn't process it. it guys, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It came back to me watching that movie. Yeah.
3: Oh, I would think yeah and, and
0: you know uh, i knew the scene in the movie that leads up to the to the actual explosion predictable you know it's coming but it shook me in a way that i did not expect huh. and then so you read the news about things like nashville at, and and that, that feeling comes back it's like wow another uh, an, another explosion and and what thankfully no one was killed in that and amazingly and perhaps by design i don't know uh, but uh, that that doesn't doesn't really take away the feeling it doesn't really take away the, the 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 insecurity that that you connect with at that moment it's a bizarre feeling it really really is and and it's uh, you know do it's a tough thing to to And that's from so far away, right? So, I mean, it just triggers a memory to me in a place where I, I, for a moment, I thought we were in danger, but not really. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I can imagine what it's like for people who were a heck of a lot closer or, and in some cases, the people who respond and bless those people who respond, who have to witness that level of devastation firsthand.
3: Uh, Jeff, then we'll kind of transition with, in other words, with everything that's happened with ESPN. And all the layoffs and the cutbacks, and then ESPN doing different things, and they've had they've had two or three. It seems like over a thousand employees maybe have been have been laid off. If the if the if it happened today, could you have provided the same kind of coverage if it, if the Olympics were being held today and you guys were there? Well, yeah.
0: I, I don't th- I don't know that we'd get the same chance right? Because if it happened today, there'd be thousands of phone images of it. Right. And and there, it, we wouldn't be able to even write a story before it was out there ah, in the same point. way. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in that case, we were able to, uh, you know, we were very careful in the beginning of what we said and how we said it because of what we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you, you picture that moment, again, that, that crowd uh, any at any Olympics now, would be filled with phones. And, and, and those images and those videos from those phones would be out there faster than any media outlet could get anything out there. Uh, and, and, and so therefore there would be no care and there'd be no perspective. And it, it would take days to undo that. Um, and you can't, you know, the classic line, you can't unsee all that stuff. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't undo the theories that get spilled out. And, you know, that's a perfect example of what's happening now is, is, you know, something will run rampant well before it is proven true or false. Yeah. And at least at that time, we had the opportunity to go slowly enough to only tell what we knew right. and, and, and to, to be just good journalists in the moment. And I think we were all proud of that as much as, you know, I, I, will, I will say this regrettably. There, I went through 9-11 too, you know, we, we, as, as media professionals often shine at the most, in the most dangerous and ugly situations. And we did, I felt we did that night. We all did. And certainly, um, as, as the res, as probably the most inexperienced person in that truck that <laughs> night, I know my game got up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: Terrific stuff.
0: Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of crazy that
1: you can have those experiences and then look back and feel it. But also, you've seen the evolution of the, the cell phone, the social media, as a journalist back in that day compared to today, and it's totally changed dramatically with the story. So you got to figure out how to be even more creative in today's market uh, than ever because news goes by so fast through social media or cell phones or videos. I, I don't know how you even keep. I don't know how ESPN or anybody keeps up uh you know with that because as soon as something's done it's on social media it's, it's on somewhere somebody has the phone somewhere and put it out there mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I, I think what what we can hope for uh, is to put it in the right context and to give it perspective as, as journalists I, I hope that's the responsibility that we still maintain and keep throughout this uh because uh, the race is over the race to get there first we're, we're all going to lose that it's a, it's it's a moment in time it's a blink of the eye that gets information out uh, and video out and pictures out about something that has happened yeah. uh, but context and perspective requires a little bit of time and thought and and uh, and professionalism
3: quite honestly honestly yeah. When news becomes sports, sports becomes news. I mean, you've got to be able to wear two hats. Jeff, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, we wish you a new year, and it was great to to kind of relive the you know that moment because I know that was a big moment in your life. And one of the six Emmys was that from the coverage '96. <laughs> by the way, only six. Only six. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Got three Look, more those, are, those were, were spread
0: across <laughs> 20 years of work and all of them are teams yeah. none of them are about okay. me they're, they're not individual awards they're absolutely I'm one of you know a hundred recipients you know Sport Center won a few of them one one we did uh, one we, one was a technical award for a behind the scenes show that we did uh called this is sports center that had so little to do with me it, it's just it re- really did um so the, their team awards for that's
3: sure. great well you've had a great career and our kids are very lucky uh speaking on behalf of the school uh stick and you've spoken to our school so our students are very lucky jeff have a have a wonderful new year and uh i'm probably gonna end up watching the movie again uh, during the break <laughs> because it was too. Thank you so much. Happy Thank New Year. Thank you so much.
4: My I pleasure. It. Yes, All right,
3: Ra- Ralph and I come back with more on the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson.
4: To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet because they couldn't find a program that provided the real-world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sports casting, I don't think, will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Building
2: a game plan for life, it's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson.
3: Welcome back to Final Comments on the Winner's Circle Network with uh, Ralph Sampson. Jeff Schatzel was just, uh, it was terrific. I could listen to that story forever and ever and ever. And uh, again, uh, uh, Manhunt uh, is on Netflix and the Richard Jewell movie, which was a Clint Eastwood production. Um, you can find that almost anywhere. I just recommend that you see it if you, if you enjoy history. I think you'll really uh, enjoy it. Well, Ralph... We roll right into 2021, and uh, I don't know if you're one of those guys that makes the resolutions, but uh, what's going to happen, partner? What's going to happen in Uh, 2021? Yeah,
1: 2021, I think we are going to, you know, after the month of January, everything's settled in. I mean, from what we do here at Winter Circle Network and Center Court, but also what the country do. I think we should just roll the red carpet out and go for it. <laughs> love everybody out there. Roll the red carpet out. I think we should have Christmas twice this year. You know, the Hall of Fame is going to have two inductions this year, one in May and oh, one in September. Right. Yeah. So just do that thing double. You know, uh, do every holiday double. Uh, let people take off and have some fun because, you Perfect. know, this country definitely needs that, right? We need some, some time to reflect, but also time to love each other. And just have some fun because it's been a crazy 2020, but 2021 is going to be amazing. So I hope everybody's ready out there. We're ready. We geared up, and I look forward to it.
3: Yeah. Well. Okay. Good. Now I can go ice cream Sundays at least two days. I try to do <laughs> ice cream Sunday a week, so I'll I'll try to remember that. um Stick. We will, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we get the college basketball season in. You know, there a lot of schools. There's been a lot of shuffling already. Uh, it looks like we're going to be in the bubble as far as the NCAA, uh, the tournaments, I think the conference tournaments should be okay by March. I don't know how many fans are going to be able to attend. I know you don't know that answer either, but I think the NCAA tournament can still be a heck of a showcase if it does go to Indianapolis. And that's the, the word right now. Yeah. I think it can be a heck of a showcase in the bubble, in the bubble atmosphere.
1: I think so. You watch the games now. I think everybody will start to settle in more. You know, this time of year, is all about conference play, right, typically, mm-hmm. and teams playing against each other, going to conference play in January, February. So it'll be about that to some some extent. I don't know how many games will be able to be played or be done. But the NCAA, the NBA, everybody now see the model, sees, sees kind of what the plan should be. Right. And I think the bubble works, obviously. The math works. And then hopefully, at the, you know, between now and then, we'll have the – the vaccine everybody'll get there'll be more people to get that uh, so it'd be a lot safer from the athlete world and I think that'll be effective as well. But I'm looking forward to what the NCAA does. I'm looking forward to what the NBA does from the bubble in Orlando to now being bubble at home. It's a whole different animal with you know kids around and wife mm-hmm. around and you know family might want to come around but that you can't do anymore. You just got to be safe out here to make that happen. But I think it's gonna happen. I think it's gonna happen. I'm looking forward to seeing how it happens and then making sure everybody's safe as well. So I'm excited about it. And I know fans out there want to be in the arena, but you can't be, it's not possible mm-hmm. to be. So, you know, you should, you should have a you know, the second NCAA tournament, you know, in November, in October, you know, so, you know do it, do it again. Yeah, the teams from last the game. year, yeah <laughs> team from last year, this year, but, you know, you can't do something else, but it should be fun to see, fun to watch, and I'm looking forward to it.
3: Well, I learned one thing a week ago. Gonzaga is pretty darn good, and <laughs> so not, not bad, man. And not bad, unless they were just playing out of
1: their, you know, what the other day. They they, they, they have a good team and they play very well.
3: Yeah, they look good. Stick. Um, happy 2021. Talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. And uh, I hope, uh, as I said, have a good couple days and a good weekend. I'll see you next week.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much.
3: All right. That's Center Court with Ralph Sampson on the Winner's Circle Network. Hope everybody has a great couple of days. Be safe, and we'll talk to you again next week.
2: You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Centricord is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to sampsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.